I want to warn everyone before we get into the show that we were recording in a non-ideal environment. Uh, Rebecca is back in Wisconsin, so we were able to record together uh, in the same room, which is always nice. We haven't been able to do that for about a year, really. But there was quite a bit of background noise, and unfortunately, um, we were recording on the same channel, and Rebecca's microphone somehow got turned down on the microphone itself. So when I boosted her levels in order to make our voices the same volume, uh, I unfortunately wasn't able to do that without boosting the noise of the background as well. But we felt like it was good enough quality and really very good content. So it may not be up to our usual standards, but we didn't want to just scrap this discussion altogether. So with that quick asterisk on this episode, I think that you'll still really enjoy it. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about disrespect. Anyone who cares about the work they perform wants to have that work appreciated. And while certain professions and high-level positions can elicit that respect almost automatically, people in many other fields have to build that regard from others over time. They need to constantly reinforce respect for what they do, and most importantly, feel it within themselves in order to create it. Those in creative fields may have special challenges in building respect in a society that tends to look at what they do as unimportant, a hobby or sideline, or something they do simply to please themselves. Or their work may be regarded for its commercial or decorative value only. Today we'll take a look at the ways artists and other creative people struggle to establish respect in the circles in which they move. And uh, before we get started, I want to note that we are not recording in our usual environment today. Uh, I have uh, Rebecca here in person with me, but we're not in a traditional recording studio. We're sitting in a living room. Uh, we have the rooster crowing outside. Uh, so the audio quality may not be what our listeners are used to, uh, but we're, we're going to try to give you some really great content anyway. And of course, with me as always is Rebecca Kroll. <laughs> yes, I, I'm back in Wisconsin preparing for... Uh, our permanent move to New Mexico and and uh, we're all sort of moving out of the same house and it's kind of crazy here so <laughs> anyway yeah this uh, is this is the the family home that um, I that I grew up in and then moved back into when uh, when you guys moved down to New Mexico yeah. and uh, so and now we're selling this this house and everyone's moving all of their stuff out and it's it's a lot to deal with. <laughs> We're trying to stay calm and focused. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's quite the process. But uh, but you're moving to New Mexico permanently, uh, and I'm moving to Florida permanently. Yes. So. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Onward. <laughs> yeah, so um, this is an interesting topic, I think, because almost... Almost all artists and other people that are a little bit non-traditional in their careers run into these situations where um, you're just sort of not being taken very seriously. Um, and people may think things like, um, oh, you're if well, let's say let's talk about artists. You're being self-indulgent. Um, you're just 
like living on the edge. Maybe you're sort of arrogant. Those are stereotypes about artists. They apply to other people as well, to other creative types and entrepreneurs. Um, and while, you know, most people say, oh, you know, I like art or I want art in my home or something in my office. Um, when it gets down to the person who's making it, you can run into some strange situations where people aren't really understanding what you do or respecting what you do. Um, and it almost seems like if you tell somebody you're an artist in a kind of a just a declarative way, like you'd say, you know, I do whatever, I, you know, have a grocery store, whatever it is you do, but something about saying I'm an artist, it sort of invites this, um, I don't know, kind of a dismissal or slight eye rolling or something. Uh, and so um, a lot of us recognize or we, a lot of us encounter situations in which we are being disrespected or not taken seriously or not really thought of as being contributing members of society. Um, yeah, I kind of wonder, um, I mean, this this historically, um, this was not always the case. No, no. Um, and it's not true everywhere. I, I have to say, um, you know, having spent some time in other countries, I think it's it's kind of uniquely looked down upon here. Maybe it's our work ethic thing that we have going on here or something. But it's um, you feel like you have to prove yourself maybe in a different way. Um, and I think it's also true for people who are practicing art, but they have some other career. Or, or um, maybe they just have a lot of demands on their time and they're not putting in as many hours maybe as somebody right. is who is selling their work or showing their work. And that's another step of hard situation. I mean, it's another step into uh, people sort of being saying, well, that's just a hobby. Um, and we talked a little bit last week about, you know, that self-respect that you have to have to say, hey, this is my time in the studio. This is my preference to spend my energy painting or whatever it is you do. Um, and, um, you know, that that can be difficult to establish too. So it's kind of, you know, both more professional artists and people who are doing it because they really, really want to can both struggle with, well, every, we all really, really want to, but I mean, well, right. if, if you're not in that more professional world, that gives you maybe just a little bit more credibility. Um, and so, but anybody who's seriously engaged in their work probably will encounter situations where uh, people are kind of dismissing them. And honestly, this can be confusing. You may not recognize it. Um, well, right. And I, I wonder, too, if there's um, uh, there's so uh, the the barrier to entry is is very low and which I'm very much in favor for. I think it's a wonderful thing. But that means that there are a lot more kind of part time or amateurs who are are participating in, in, in you know meaningful ways? Um, I don't want to discount what people are doing on a part time or or a non professional basis, um, but it it does increase the volume of the market. And when people are encountering artists in life, you know, very often these people are in that other category where they're not doing it on a professional full time basis. And. It and it seems to be the degree of seriousness that you bring to it. Um, and there certainly are people who do it as a hobby. And there are people that simply enjoy it, don't expect to be to have it treated in a special way. 
And I mean, I get what you're saying when there's a confusion between people who people who really do want to take it seriously, who do, and they're trying to establish themselves and they're telling somebody, yeah, you know, I'm an artist. And, you know, I could say very, so so often in my life, the first response is, oh, yeah, my my aunt likes to draw. Right. Something, it's like people really trying to connect with what you're doing, but they only maybe know somebody in their circle that, that just likes to draw. Well, something. and when you think about what their what most people's interaction with artwork is or creating artwork, it's either um, you know like in in school, um, which unfortunately is many times. I mean, there are some great art teachers out there, but many times it's kind of a almost like paint by number like process. Mm-hmm. You know, here is how you make a thing, and then it's the same kind of thing when when they become an adult and they do the adult version of that, which is like the. The, the paint and sip, you know, wine parties or sip, <laughs> sip and drip. Yeah. And so, I mean, this like when or, or you know, these other kind of uh, these things that I mean, I, I worked at a, a color me mine out in California, you know, at one point and I was I was doing all their kiln work, which I was because I was qualified to do it. And um, but I mean, that was. I, I fired some amazing pieces that people made at, at Color Me Mine, but that's kind of like the fast food drive through of yeah. the art world, well, you know, and that's most people's exposure. It's an interesting field in which um, there is this big base of people who do engage at a hobby level. And it's just, but it's the same kind of category that goes from there up to people who are, you know, working very professionally and um you know i I can't i mean i I guess like well let's think about cooking you could say you were a chef in a high level restaurant or you could say i enjoy cooking um, right for my family but i don't think people would tend to confuse those and say oh well you know she likes being a chef like that same term right she enjoys a little chefing on the weekend that that's recognized as a professional category Whereas within the art world, I, I'm trying to think of examples. I really, I think it gets confusing. Um, yeah, and I don't want to defend anyone who's disrespecting artists because I think even, like I say, even people who are doing it on a part-time basis or on a non-professional level or even people who just enjoy going to Color Me Mine and painting a coffee cup. Yeah. Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Oh, I don't either. And I think respecting any creative venture is important. It's important for those of us who are professionals to respect that in people. Right. And, and I've always felt like... Everyone deserves respect. Oh, yeah. And I've always felt like, wow, you're doing... You know, you are creating something. And that's way better than a lot of things you could be doing. Yeah. And, you know, and, and we all create in, in a lot of different ways. So, I mean, I guess we're just trying to establish that there are different levels within this. And if you're trying to establish... If you're trying to put yourself in an upper level you do run into a struggle because there's a lot of other associations with the general category um and i think there's just um you know if you're if you're on this kind of career path or you're on this professional path um there's just you constantly encounter these situations as you kind of feel your way through as you as you enter a gallery for the first time um if you have a show, you're not really sure what to expect. And so when things come up, uh, you kind of wonder, well, is this okay? Is this how it's done? Or is there something else um, going on here? And 
every situation you're in is a little bit different. So there's not a lot of rules about, oh, well, here's what you can expect, you know, checklist. Uh, galleries run things very differently, um, for example. And so you can feel backed into accepting something that for you may not be entirely workful and it may not feel entirely respectful. And, you know, one of the examples from my own life was when um, early on, when I first started teaching workshops, I always stayed in people's homes who were hosting. And that's what was offered to me. And and it seemed to be just the way it was. Like, this is how we do it. And, and I was, okay, that's fine. I was just starting out. Um, and I, I mean, I met some wonderful people, had some wonderful hospitality. But there were also some difficult situations and really awkward and uncomfortable situations that I was expected to adapt to because that's who was putting me up, more or less. And so at some point, so I started to hold more workshops, I'm becoming more well-known and successful. Um, I started thinking, hey, you know what? I, I need I need a hotel room, <laughs> you know? I need to be able to leave at the end of the day, be in my own space, recharge, and all those kind of things. Um, and not try to figure out how am I going to fit into somebody else's home life who's been kind enough to put me up, but it wasn't always a good place to be. Um, anyway, I, but even though I would start to say, well, um, okay, yeah, I'll teach at your workshop, but I need to have a hotel room. I need to have my expenses covered. I would still encounter hosts or venues that would insist that I stay in somebody's home. Um, because that's how they always did it. And, and it, it lowered the cost for the workshop and it, it made it a little more, less expensive for students, but it didn't change the individual price all that much for the students to, to chip in a little to put me up in a hotel if I had 10 students or something. So I didn't quite buy it. And yet it took me a little while to start saying, well, then I can't come. <laughs> you know? right. well, I won't be teaching with you if you can't meet my expectations for a place to stay and if you can't pay me what I feel like I deserve to be paid. So um, I just sort of gradually started to key into this. Like, what is this? If I were, say, um, a visiting professor at a university, I don't think anybody would just expect me to stay in somebody's guest room. I mean, no, they'd set me up with a hotel or whatever, um, a stipend probably. And so I had to find the self-respect to say to people, no, that's not good enough. You have to pay me this or put me up in a, in a hotel. I wasn't demanding luxury. I just wanted my own place. Um, well, and it's hard to understand when you're first starting out what the standards are. Exactly. What, and so if you're if you're not sure, you're just kind of rolling with it, and you say, okay, we'll we'll do that, and you find out eventually that you are kind of being taken advantage of. I, I I did find that out eventually, and people would say, well, you get your hotel covered, right? And I say, well, no, they put me up in somebody's basement, you know? <laughs> oh, really? Well, you need to not do that anymore. Um, and it was some feedback from other people that I started to understand that that wasn't what I needed to accept. And, you know, gallery situations, um, they vary incredibly about what they expect artists to do. And I've run into situations where, oh, we just... If we're going to run an ad for your work, say, in a, um, a local arts magazine or something, then you have to pay for it. Well, okay, you know, that's how they do it. So, so it's like it does feel a bit taken advantage of because 
you figure, well, if they're making half the money from the sale of your work, then shouldn't they be doing the promotion? And that's seemed like that was clearly their yeah, that's their job responsibility. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've had I you know when I was first starting out, I might be expected to even pay for the reception or something, and you know, and at some point I thought, or chip in for it at least, and at some point I thought, you know. Are there artists in the same gallery who are right. putting their foot down and saying, no, I don't do that? <laughs> Typically, artists and galleries don't really know each other and talk to each other, so you don't really know. And I just started thinking, well, I can't always... Sometimes I would accept it if I said, well, okay, I get it. For some reason, this is what I want to do. But to just accept it, um, it didn't seem right after a while. But it, I'm just saying it took a little while to get to the point where I would say, question that, because you really don't get how things are going on. Um, and you don't know whether how deeply ingrained it is with whoever you're dealing with that this is the way they do it, and they do expect you to comply. Um, and I, I really am talking from the point of view of somebody who is who tends to avoid conflict. I don't like situations where I have to say no, or I want this, or I need that. Uh, I'm getting a lot better at it, but it certainly did not come naturally to me <laughs> for a long time. But it's kind of, it's part of becoming a professional, really, is to to set your standards and to... And to stick with them. To stick with them and to expect people to comply with them. Otherwise, be prepared to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And that has definitely come up. It's definitely come up um, in terms of workshops and um, and having to turn things down that I kind of wanted to do, but it just simply, the, the support wasn't there that you should expect. Uh, let's take a quick break to talk about what's new from Cold Wax Academy. Rebecca and her partner, Jerry McLaughlin, are wrapping up an exciting spring quarter and have announced their lineup of topics for summer quarter, which begins July 7th. Their weekly live interactive sessions will focus on mark making, composition, and on setting and following intentions to create strong, cohesive work. But you don't have to wait for the new quarter to join the Academy. All sessions are recorded and fully accessible in the member library. And you can watch and rewatch at your own pace. In addition, joining at any time gives you access to all the perks of membership and the benefits of being part of a growing, knowledgeable community of other artists. And for a limited time, Jerry and Rebecca are offering a new membership level that provides access to their extensive video workshop only. The cost is just $249 for six weeks of streaming access. Plenty of time to watch and re-watch all the in-depth content provided in this unique video. So once again, that's coldwaxacademy.com. All right, let's get back into it. So I think we should spend a little bit of time, it kind of touched on it now, but how do you handle this disrespect when it's coming at you? Um, and I, I do think that personality has so much to do with it. Because um, you may have natural tendencies, like I kind of do, to avoid conflict. Um, it's so much easier to let things slide, but then you start to feel upset about things and you, you start to know that you're being taken advantage of and it can build up. And so, yeah, I kind of have the opposite problem. Yeah, you do. 
I learned from you, Ross. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe I need to learn from you because there have definitely been times when my inability to just let things go have has gotten me in trouble. But well, ideally, we're looking for some kind of balance, and we—I mean, I'm certainly never going to turn into a person who goes around. Um, kind of stirring things up and, and, you know, looking for things to complain about. It's just not me. Um, I also certainly recognize that I still find myself in situations where I'm being taken advantage of, and I know it. And I, I just hesitate to deal with it. I mean, it's just, it just goes against, because I just sort of expect people to step up to the plate and do what's right. Well, and there's this insidious thing about it where you start to just expect it to happen. And you, you stop realizing that there are situations where you don't get taken advantage yes. of. Yes. Well, yes. Yeah. And it feels good. <clears throat> it feels really good the first time you start saying, these are my prices, for example. And I know a lot of artists have trouble um, sticking with their prices when it's somebody that they know. Um, and that uh, as soon as somebody asks them what the price is, if they know this person at all, they start discounting it in their mind, you know? And instead of saying, this is the price, you know? I mean, most of us will have a little wiggle room when it comes to our true friends and our family, but, um, you know, just somebody that you know from somewhere. It. I know so many artists who cannot bring themselves to say, this is the firm price. And yet that's an aspect of self-respect and it's really hard. It's it's an ongoing struggle, actually, to, to do that. Yeah, and you don't want discounting your prices to become normal. No, no. Because then people don't take it seriously. Yeah, I mean, it's like, well, can we wheel and deal here? <laughs> you know. So you, but you have to you have to understand that when you say this is the price, I'm not moving on it. You have to actually do it. Yeah, you you can lose the sale. Mm-hmm. But then it gets back to what is this. What is this worth? What is this painting worth? Um, and so if you start always saying, well, my paintings aren't worth that much anyway, um, you know, it just works against you. And it is something that, uh, I, I don't know, I just know people people struggle with it. Um, and, and you can, if you have these gut reactions to things and you, you say, oh, but, you know, it just doesn't feel right to sell this too cheap, or it doesn't feel right to accept this staying in someone's basement or whatever. Some personality types can then tell themselves, well, I'm just being self-indulgent, or I'm expecting too much. You know, this is just the way it is. So if you, um, is that a lack of self-respect? I think it basically is. And so um, even if you have self-respect, you can simply fail to act, and bad situations can develop. Um, but you know, for myself, I've always felt that, uh, even though I have this tendency to, to back away, I know there are boundary lines that cannot be crossed, and I think most people have those, where they say, hey, stop, that's going too far. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna do this thing for you for free because I'm an artist, or I'm not gonna, I, I have to make those choices. And um, so being aware of where your boundary lines are and maybe then just sort of pushing them a little bit more towards 
uh, demanding that respect is a start. <laughs> well, and what you do has value and you put time in. You also have all these materials that, that go into your art that yeah. need to be paid for. Yes, they do. And so if you're if you're not making money off of a painting, then you're you're you, what you're do, doing is making a loss. You know, yeah. you're, if you're not making money, you're losing money. And, you know, and it takes a while to build that up. You know, you can't necessarily sure. start with high prices. But when you've been doing it for a while, um, there is inherent value in what you do because you have sold pieces at a certain price. And if this person that you're talking to doesn't want to pay that price, well, hang on to it. Something else will come along. That is something you learn over time. Um and but it there is so much wiggle room and gray areas in there because galleries will discount things uh, to make a sale and usually you have to say uh, at some point with the gallery they will say how much discount will you accept or will you accept a, a split twenty percent discount to the client um, and depending on where your boundaries are you say yes or no to that and then they'll typically work with you but it's um. It's, you know, there, there's a lot of gray areas. So it's kind of like finding this balance between where's my hard line, you know, where am I not going to budge, and what can I give a little bit on and still feel like, okay, this is within the realm of what I think is all right. Um, and there can be this kind of, if you let things go, there could be this kind of insidious uh, disrespect that's sort of playing in the background. And you sort of know it's there. And are you going to accept it? Are you going to challenge it? Are you going to live with it? It really, again, it's personality. It's it's how you feel about things. But I think being aware of it um, is good. And then because then you'll be quicker to know when they have gone too far. And there's a, I'll tell a little gallery story. So years ago, I was in a gallery, and I was doing these multiple panel paintings where there's different panels bolted together, and they were you know carefully derived aesthetic decisions about how these panels were going to work. And so the gallery called me up one day and said, hey, um, so you have this painting here and there's somebody looking at it, but it's not quite big enough. So could you just like make another panel and send it to us and we'll just bolt it onto the bottom? That's <laughs> unreal. I thought, I thought in that moment, I thought they really, really don't understand my work and they're not respecting my aesthetic choices here. And I did leave that gallery shortly after. I didn't send them the panel, I said no. And there were other things that kind of came together and I thought, they just don't get what I'm doing. And they've never really asked and they've never really tried to figure it out. And therefore that is a lack of respect. And when you realize a gallery really doesn't understand what you're doing, it's like, it it's just not a good fit at that point. It's time to go <laughs> because you are half of that equation. And they, you know, if they're treating you like an employee or something else, which can happen, that's not right. You're 50-50 with them. They need you, you need them. And if that's not the situation, then you have to reevaluate it. Um, again, there are factors that can play in. Have they been good at selling your work have they do you like the people who run the gallery i mean there's there's things that can play into it and i say that because um you know i know i've stayed in, in galleries in situations where it wasn't ideal i i know it for sure but i say just 
eyes wide open. I'm doing this as a choice. I'm determining for now that it's okay. Um, it's kind of the best move for me right now. Um, and, you know, there's some other situations where you can be disrespected. We mentioned people having a lot of family obligations or things that their friends expect from them. And those kind of things also can be very insidious because these are people you love and you care about, and yet they may be saying, uh, oh, you can drop that and come help me do whatever. Or, you know, a grandparent may hear, well, well, you can babysit, right? You just, you just have this free time. And you're thinking, yeah, that's my time in the studio, you know? And so that's a different kind of thing where you, you love these people, you have the opportunity, you have some kind of basis with them to really say, please understand, you know, what's going on here. I need to do this for myself. Well, and all of these situations are are so emotional in nature. And most of the time people don't realize that they're, that it's not an intentional slight against you. Exactly. And so it's very difficult to not, to deal with these in, in unemotional ways. And that's, and that gets back to recognizing them for what they are. And then, but I guess, I guess what you're saying is don't let the idea that this is disrespect trigger you to, to act really angry or something. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time when people are disrespecting us or when we disrespect other people, uh, we're not doing it intentionally. There's some blinders on. Exactly. And, and there, there may be circumstances where you are overreacting emotionally to, to a situation. Um, and you know, there was no offense intended or, you know, yeah, so you need to respect them and try to say, okay, where are you coming from? Right. Here's why that's not working for me. Um, and, you know, some people are so good at just saying, you know, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I think I need to learn how to say that more. Well, right. But doing that in a way that itself is not disrespectful yeah, is very right, difficult. Right. Yeah. And, and they, you know... I know like a very basic technique in communication is to say, uh, to put it on yourself, that doesn't work for me rather than I don't like, or that you you are not treating me right would trigger a, a more emotional engagement. Whereas, um, you know, for me that doesn't work or something. That's That diffuses it, whatever that situation is. Um, and so there's a lot of techniques about engaging in this kind of communication that um, they're out there. You know, you can you can learn about them and try to practice that. Um, but it is sometimes it's hard to know. You know, how much do you want or need to push back? Uh, what do you gain by pushing back? Um, and and you know, some situations you could just politely say no thanks. You know, I mean, it's just. Maybe another thing that happens with artists is they they get asked to do things for free for the community, or they get asked to uh, donate work to very many different causes that they they're not initiating these donations. They're being asked, um, and you and it it can be hard to say uh, no, but and, and I think a lot of artists are willing to do this to a certain extent, but if it gets to be too much. And you don't really understand the cause, or you don't support it, then you got to say no. Um, and I, I think there's there's a certain amount of manipulation that can go on. And when I say uh, 
it's hard sometimes hard to recognize these situations sometimes that's because you are being manipulated or the other person is attempting to manipulate you by say guilt guilt's a good one you know and i've had galleries say to me well you know we're sort of asking you to take over these these expenses you know that really should be theirs they're sort of nickel and diming you and they'll say oh but we but our overhead you would not believe you know things like that and they I mean, I had a gallery once call me in to sit down with a bookkeeper because I was complaining about not getting paid. And the bookkeeper is saying, look, here's our monthly expenses. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Pay me my money. It was absolutely insane. And I did leave that gallery. But but there was an extreme attempt at manipulation there to get me to accept that, oh, they are suffering. And so I need to wait and wait and wait for my check um well and another thing is um doing exchanges of services mm-hmm. as a creative that's another thing where money can get be be used to leverage you in in and guilt you in ways that are yep. extremely manipulative yep. because other people don't necessarily understand the real value of what you do yeah um a, a friend of mine does video production um and he's extremely talented and extremely creative and he has a very unique style. Um, and uh, he accepted services from somebody in exchange for uh, a promotional video. Mm-hmm. And he needs to be able to create and to to do things in his, in his way and his style. And uh, the, the person that he did the video for was never happy and wanted him to redo a whole bunch of stuff. And then eventually this video doesn't even look like his work anymore, mm-hmm. you know? And it, it, I'm, I, he showed it to me and I said, I don't know how you can put your name on this man. Yeah. Like this, this isn't you. I, and I, I, the, my first thought was, well, you can do this, this and this to improve it. And he's like, I know I did that. And he didn't want it. And, and I, I told him, I was like, Hey, can you, can you just pay for the services that, that this person gave you and walk away? Nah, he won't let me do that either, you know. And so it's like you end up in this situation oh, where just he's mired in this. He's, yes, he's putting, <laughs> you know, three times the amount of work into this oh. project that he normally would. It doesn't even yeah. look like his work anymore. Yeah, and he just wants to be done with it and yeah. and and walk away from it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that was a learning experience, you know. Yep. Another one, um, you know, visual artists run into sometimes is with commissions because. You, you are being paid, okay, but, but the license that sometimes the people who are commissioning you feel they have over dictating what you do or uh, making unreasonable demands once you agree to do it, um, you know, and this is a tricky one where you may not realize you're being manipulated. You feel honored. You've been selected for a commission either by the times I've run into it have been personal commissions. Like this is just me one-on-one with somebody right there. Uh, there are, it's a, it's sort of ripe for this kind of thing. Um, and, uh, as opposed to going through a third party who may be able to negotiate this, but you know, you feel like, Oh, this is great. You know, this person wants to commission me. And so you're, you're sort of eager to please and all that. And then it starts coming back at you in so many little ways that oh I don't think I don't think we wanted quite this much orange in the painting you know it's like but you said you liked orange you know right I mean, it, it just can get really sticky and um, 
And yet you are then in the position of pleasing this person. Unless you just say, and I've been so tempted this one time to say, uh, you know what? Forget it. You know, I'm giving you your money back. You don't get the painting. Uh, because it was all this back and forth, little tweaks and pickiness and all that. Sounds like what your friend was going through a bit. And so the basic respect that I think artists really love with a commission is somebody saying honestly and sincerely, I really like what you do. I, I may have a few parameters. I need a certain size or I would like a certain range of colors. And then they leave you alone. And they they eagerly wait to see what you've done and they're all happy about right. it. You know? Because they have come to you with respect saying, you know what you're doing. I'm just going to let you do it. And that's the ideal, you know, and it's wonderful when that happens. Um, so, yeah, another situation where you can get yourself involved in something that may not be all that healthy for your creative soul, I would say. Um, and I think, you know, those, there's kind of a red flag gut feeling inside when you feel like you have to just be sort of quiet and accept what's going on. Um, and yet you know that what's going on is pulling you away from what you are passionate about and what you care about. And then, you know, you're left trying to figure out how to extricate yourself or alleviate the situation. And it's, it becomes burdensome on you. Um, so that's where it can go, you know. And when I said you learn from experience, um, you know, you go through some of those and you just say, okay, I learned that one. Let's see if I can apply it the next time around. <laughs> well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? I think that recognizing and responding in a good way to situations that occur because of a lack of respect or understanding or perhaps ignorance for what you do, um, that's a life skill. And, and it's it really can be a challenge, especially for certain personality types. Um, the, the conflict avoiders among us. But I would also say that all of us have lots of chances to practice how to deal with these because we will encounter them. Um, and I just think, you know, as we said right in the beginning and as we said last week, this core thing of self-respect is really important in just coping with this. And um, if any of the situations that we've talked about come up for you today, we talked about them today. If they come up for you, you know, that's where you got to go back to that core thing of, you know, I respect myself, so how am I going to deal with this situation? Um, but even then, even if it's intact, it may not be clear how to deal with it. Um, I guess, if anything, just knowing where your priorities are and the whole big picture and trying to do things that are in line with that. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at www.coldwaxacademy.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. 
In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.